Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome to episode 42 of the Inspiration Podcast Show. As always, it's your brother Usman here, welcoming you once again to another really, really insightful, really deep and thought-provoking episode. SubhanAllah, I'm just so excited for this one. Um, this is something which is not just personal to me. I'm sure you and many people that you know have gone through times in life when we have doubted our faith, we have doubted Allah's love for us, we've been through lows spiritually, we've gone through phases of deep sadness and perhaps even trauma. And in this episode, mashallah, we are joined by sisters Sara Sultan and Najwa Awad, who are two licensed therapists, mashallah, and have a wealth of experience in the field of mental health from a faith-based perspective. And also have written, mashallah, a very detailed and comprehensive series on Yaqeen Institute for Islamic Research about trauma called Your Lord Has Not Forsaken You. And that's exactly what we're going to be diving into today. Uh, today's episode is going to cover one of those segments in that series called why does Allah hate me, right? A very deep personal question which we might ask ourselves from time to time. And in this episode in particular, we actually go into ideas such as negative thinking, emotional reasoning, low self-esteem, the effects of past trauma on our mental, spiritual and emotional health as well, dependency, on other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, external validation, hopelessness, depression, and a whole host of other factors that can contribute to us coming to the conclusion that Allah doesn't love us, or Allah hates us, or even having negative thoughts towards Allah himself. A very thought-provoking episode, inshallah. And actually, this is the audio version of what is a video podcast. If you do prefer to watch these episodes, go ahead to youtube.com forward slash the inspiration. Uh, but like I said, this episode does dive quite deep into these different uh, themes. And for more information, you can visit the Yaqeen Institute website um, and learn and read more from the trauma series. And also to learn more from Sisters Najwa and Sara as well and their own therapy practices and their own content online. All of the links for this episode today, inshallah, are going to be at deinspiration.com forward slash episode 42. So without any further ado, let's go into the episode, inshallah. But first, let's hear about Yaqeen Institute for Islamic Research. The most beautiful part of the Muslim community is how strongly we stand together to benefit humanity. Or at least, that's how it should be. Unfortunately, our community is in shambles, our ideas and ethics are confused, and we are plagued by doubt. Our identity is lost. We need something that can tackle the root of the problem. While allowing our community to grow, we need a foundation of faith. At Yaqeen, we focus on doing exactly that. All of our work is centered on three areas. Dismantling doubts to establish the firm roots of faith. Nurturing conviction to strengthen existing faith and help it grow. And inspiring contribution to empower our community to benefit all of humanity. 
All right, everyone. So without any further ado, let's bring on our guests for today. We have a sister Najwa Awad and Sara Sultan from Yaqeen Institute. Alhamdulillah. And today, as we mentioned before, we are going to be talking about a very um, deep and crucial uh, topic and concept of, you know, the question, why does Allah hate me or does Allah hate me? And in particular, diving a bit more deeper into the trauma series that Yaqeen have released recently, inshallah ta'ala. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah to both of you. Wa alaikum wa salam wa rahmatullah wa barakatuh. How are both of you doing in this current uh, crisis? So for those listening in the future, um, we are currently going through the freshest phase of the coronavirus COVID-19 epidemic at the moment. Um, and everyone's a bit confused, but alhamdulillah we are all trying our best to get through this. And actually, I think this topic of um, trauma and mental health is actually very apt at the moment because people are going through very dramatic changes. Um, and this question of, is this whole situation a punishment from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sort of ties in right to today's episode. So how are both of you coping at the moment? Alhamdulillah, Alhamdulillah, it's, um, it's definitely been interesting with changes um i'm a i'm a mom as well and so that's probably been the biggest change in terms of the kids not being in school and everything but alhamdulillah you know subhanallah there in in all of this that's been going on i think that there's a lot of room for reflection and for lessons and for a lot of growth in terms of the way that we deal with different situations and the tests that allah subhanahu wa sends us so um so alhamdulillah it's been you know, we've been fortunate in, in this struggle, a lot more fortunate than a lot of people, alhamdulillah. Yeah. Alhamdulillah, like we've been doing okay here as well. It's, it's been an adjustment. Um, it's always, like there's always news coming. There's always like adjustments to be made. But um, like Sarah was saying, that there are blessings in this, like just uh, being able to stay home more and spend time with family and not having so many commitments. Like I feel like we're always like running from place to place. So um, alhamdulillah, it's a great opportunity just to, to reflect and be at home and, and practice gratefulness for everything. Alhamdulillah. Before we get into the topic, can both of you, inshallah, do a quick introduction, let our audience know um, who both of you are and what you do. And then after that, we'll dive into Yaqeen and your work with the trauma series, inshallah. Sure. Um, so my name is Najwa Awad. I am a psychotherapist in private practice. Um, I see people in my office and online as well. Um, I specialize mostly seeing women and their families. Uh, I work a lot with depression, anxiety, trauma, um, and I'm also one of the co-authors of uh, the Yaqeen series, uh, Your Lord Has Not Forsaken Me, The Impact of Trauma on Faith with Sara. Assalamualaikum. Uh, my name is Sara Sultan. And uh, I am also a therapist in private practice. Uh, I'm based in Houston, Texas. Um, that's where I currently live, although originally from New York. Got to bring a shout out over there. <laughs> um, alhamdulillah. And, uh, and uh, like I mentioned before, I'm also a mom of two. Uh, and uh, I am an instructor with uh, Mishka University, where I teach a course on the intersection between um, uh, Islam, psychology, and counseling, uh, and also one of the co-authors uh, with uh, Najwa on the trauma series for uh, Yaqeen Institute, alhamdulillah. 
Zakala Khairan. And speaking of New York, um, I was actually with uh, Imam Siraj Wahais the other week, um, representing Brooklyn, mashallah. I managed to catch him and he was talking about New York and we had a, a New York conversation and we're arguing over which winter season was the worst, either here in Scotland or over there in New York. So alhamdulillah. Um, okay, great. So if we can, inshallah, just give a brief overview because I want the audience listening today to go back uh, and visit this part of the Yaqeen website, inshallah, um, the, the trauma series. Give a little bit of insight about um, the series as a whole and then in particular the sections that both of you were working on together um, and the reasoning behind why this came about. Okay, so originally when this idea was presented to us, it was supposed to be a guidebook addressing a series of issues. And so the, when Sar and I got together, um, we had done projects before, we were thinking about how we would be able to put so many different issues together, like um, addictions and abuse and uh, trauma. And then we realized that trauma was like an underlying thing between a lot of the community issues out there. Um, and so what we decided was to come up with a framework of how we can approach trauma from like a psycho-spiritual perspective. Mm. And we talk about that in our introduction, which includes the Duha approach. And that's kind of the structure that we have uh, throughout the series. And we based it on Surah Duha, where Al-Subhatah is talking to Prophet in a time of distress. Um, and we know uh, the Prophet had experienced many um, traumatic events throughout his life, mm-hmm. uh, including orphanhood, uh, being attacked, um, losing people that are close to him. And so when uh, the surah was revealed, it was after a time where he had not received revelation for some time and he was very um, anxious and distraught about it. And we thought, what better approach than taking what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala took to, um, to speak and address Muhammad um, in a way to comfort him. And so we kind of went through the surah and we deduced you know, concrete um, evidence-based practices that we as Muslims can take and incorporate uh, in how we treat trauma from best perspective. And so uh, that's what the intro is about. But each chapter after that addresses a certain issue in the community. It can be um, abuse, it can be infidelity, uh, it can be relationship issues. And so we come at, um, we use like a case example to kind of uh, explain to people like some of the, the thought process behind us. It's kind of a relatable way for people to see what others are going through. And then we go and we talk about like, how did these uh, thoughts develop? How uh, we can build insight into uh, coping with our trauma? And then like concrete strategies, each chapter at the end has um, concrete strategies in which it's almost like a workbook where people can mm-hmm. take some of the things that they learned in the chapter and then work on it on their own time. Um, so we, we, our intention was to make like a comprehensive guide that people from all walks of life could relate to and can use practically, um, you know, whether they're in counseling or not. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, uh, you know, one of our goals when we were doing this project and something that we had discussed uh, really often was kind of twofold in that, Number one was this idea of our community, the Muslim community itself, being a very traumatized community, 
right? Um, uh, Muslims in the Western world, Muslim in the in Muslims in the Eastern world, all of them have experienced different types of trauma, right? But overall, there's been a lot of community-based trauma and then a lot of individual trauma. So we wanted to address that, and then also alongside that was um, we kind of had this image in our minds as we were working on this of just you know even just one person really really struggling with um, difficult thoughts, really struggling with their relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, really struggling with feelings of depression and mm. um, their spirituality, and then stumbling upon this and it bringing them a sense of validation and a sense of peace, inshallah. And that was really one of the images that continued. You know, we worked on this project for over a year, subhanAllah, and it's one of the images that really kept us going, uh, alhamdulillah. And uh, one of the components in our approach is that we wanted to address like the cognitive, the thought base, like our minds, um, our bodies, and our, our spirituality, our hearts. So, you know, all of these different components are really important in healing trauma. So we wanted to address uh, all of them in, uh, in, in our series. Khair. And something which I really love about Yaqeen um, is how structured and thought out everything is. The fact that every angle is covered and it's done well and it's using a really healthy blend of the spiritual aspect and also the you mentioned um uh work in the profession of mental health and trauma and psychology and it's been blended together into this really nice holistic approach um whenever i look at a yaqeen uh report i'm like subhanallah this is such high quality i love it so it's great to see that over the course of the year um so much work and thought was put into it um so may allah inshallah accept it and i hope that it does benefit those who come across and need it so speaking of which um today's topic is um kind of a question that many people ask perhaps at least once right and it can be for a number of different reasons um oftentimes it can be because of an event that's occurred or just their own thought processes and so the question is why does allah hate me okay a very upfront harsh deep question which pretty much is going to dictate whether or not someone has a healthy relationship with God and they have a healthy sense of Iman and enjoy practicing their religion um, and something which you have mentioned is this idea of emotional reason reasoning sorry so can you explain to us what emotional reasoning actually is and how this relates to the common thoughts that people have which um, result in, you know, an unhealthy relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Um, yes. So why does Allah hate me rescripting negative thoughts? I think it's um, the fourth in the series of the fourth episode. Um, and so it starts out with a case example about uh, someone who has a really hard time in adjusting with relationships and really trying to make things work when they don't. Um, emotional reasoning is pretty much making conclusions based off of reality, uh, on reality based off of emotion versus fact. So you're kind of taking how you feel and then you're making assumptions about yourself or the world or a law based on, on that. So if I have a feeling today that everybody hates me, um, then I, I'm, I'm assuming that is fact and I start to discount other evidence around me. Mm -hmm. Um, and so this can happen, like I said, it could be about ourselves, it could be about our environment, but it's a slippery slope and sometimes it develops um, regarding our relationship with Allah as well, too. 
Um, and I feel like people with trauma can be more susceptible to that uh, because we, uh, people who experience trauma, have um, it really impacts a person's life. And there was something Sara said earlier that uh, I thought was important to mention. When we talk about trauma, I think people usually get the image that we're talking about, like war or rape. Um, but we can have many little traumas that lead to complex trauma, or um, there could be little uh, things that we think are not that big of a deal, like a parent's divorce, um, or maybe someone saying a racial slur. Uh, and people might not think that they're traumas, but, but they are. And so they add up over time. And the accumulation of that um, can sometimes dis dysregulate how we feel and also how we look at the world. And so when we make, when we have low self-esteem or we're developing these negative thoughts about ourselves based off of these experiences, then we start to participate in something called projection. So how I feel about myself is how the world feels about me and how I feel about myself is how Allah feels about me too. Um, and so um, people, actually I had someone call me yesterday and he said, uh, it was totally random person. And he said, so I gave advice to a friend and right after I had this episode is the, do you think this is because Allah hates me or is punishing me? And so, um, from his framework, because of whatever he had experienced, he was taking that experience and then he automatically went to, you know, Allah hates me. And sometimes we might, um, we might have a very good relationship with Allah and sometimes, you know, it might be in our low points of our Amen. But people who are very spiritually conscious, it's it's not a big leap for them to go to something like that and say, oh, this happened and this happened to me. So maybe Allah, maybe Allah doesn't like me. Um, and so that's, uh, it can be a very dangerous thing to fall into. But like you said, it, it's something that um, we all question time to time or what it might cross our mind from uh, time to time. And just a quick follow up of that. Um, I think we're going to perhaps talk about this in more detail afterwards, but um, this is coming across as, you know, it is a very negative um, feeling to have. You know, you mentioned they're making conclusions based on your own emotion, not fact, um, and then projecting that. But I think, um, and forgive me for the tangent here, but it's just popped into my head because I've seen this, right? Is that some people will use this as a means of um, falling into this deep state of, you know, depression um, or spiritual depression. Um, but others will maybe use that as motivation instead okay Allah hates me so that must mean that this is a sign for me to start doing something better and if I do something better um, Allah will love me again okay I think everyone has their own ways of interpreting things have you ever noticed that um, or does it m normally come um, mostly as a negative feeling well I think that um, and I, I don't want to speak for you Najwa but I know in my um, experience with clients it usually is more on the negative side with regards to that particular thought process. Like, and I think that it comes from, <clears throat> excuse me, the differentiation between guilt and shame, right? A lot of times the idea of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala hating me as a person, right? That the, the Lord who chose to create you, the Lord who has chosen to create everything, right? The one who's most powerful, the one who knows your heart in a better way than you know it yourself, for that being to hate you 
it, it's a different, it's at such a different level and it brings up so much in terms of feelings of shame mm. that a person will experience. Feelings of shame tend to get us into such a negative space where we feel like the issue is fundamentally with us, that we are fundamentally flawed as people. And when we believe that idea, when we believe that concept that we are fundamentally flawed, it's very difficult to motivate yourself to move forward because it almost feels like an impossibility, right? Mm -hmm. So even the possible becomes impossible because the problem is just not changeable. But feelings of guilt, on the other hand, if you can say, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala hates that I did this, right? So attributing the dislike of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to a behavior rather than to you yourself as a person, that can be a motivating factor to okay. propel a person to say, okay, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you know, really dislikes this particular behavior. And, um, and so we're going to, I'm going to push myself to move away from it in order to please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and to gain his, uh, to gain his love and to gain, uh, and to gain goodness and uh, to be raised in ranks in his eyes. Uh, so I think that that's where where kind of that differentiation lies. Excellent. Very interesting already, subhanAllah. Um, now that I'm understanding how this is broken down, I can already remember so many conversations that I've had myself with friends and family and even thoughts I've had on my own um, during certain times of my life. Um, so I'm excited to and intrigued actually to learn more about the other themes and topics we have lined up. So want to move on to this um idea then of, of happiness right um and dependency so something which we discussed before was the dangers of looking for our sense of stability and our sense of happiness out with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala um and how this dependency can affect us psychologically and spiritually. So can you just describe how that part ties in with um, what you've just mentioned before and what people should do in this situation? Well, when I was in school, a lot of people, the teachers taught me that um, when we have a high internal locus of control, meaning that we feel in control of our environment, then that usually leads to higher self-esteem, to more motivation, to getting things done. And it was also said that people who have an external sense of control, meaning that they think that God or something else, um, uncontrollable circumstances is in control of their lives and they tend to do poor. But, I, but I've learned over time um, that that's not really correct. And the Islamic perspective is like, it's a balance of what we can control ourselves, uh, but also uh, believing and trusting in Allah that he, is, that he knows what's best for us and he's going to help us in, um, in our affairs. And the best way that I've learned since grad school um, of looking at things is that everybody, whether they know or not, has a, a certain locus of control right? Um, and so you have people, you have parents, for example, who they, they might not realize it, but their locus of control is their children. So when their children are doing well, then they feel like they're doing well, right? Um, some people, their locus of control is school. So when they're doing well academically, they're thriving, everything is awesome. Then they go and they take a really hard class and then they maybe they don't do so well. And then everything seems like it's falling apart. And so 
Um, all these things are transient. And when we put all of our effort into these things that are important, um, but we feel like our self-worth, our self-esteem is uh, what is upholding, you know, just everything together, then when these things are not working out, then everything crashes. And so that's why it's really important for us as Muslims to um, look at all the different important parts of our life and participate and have goals in them, but know that the best and the, the healthiest locus of control is with Allah. Because ultimately he is, you know, he's in control and we do our part, like we tie our camel and we do what we need to do. But when things don't work out with your family or something traumatic happens to you, when you know that you have that sense of stability with Allah, that you can always go back to him no matter how much you mess up, no matter like what you do, that sense of stability, that's something that nobody can take away. Um, and it, uh, it can be deeply comforting, especially when we know he's a Rahman and that, you know, he's always there. He, he knows, he knows things before they even happen to us and that we can turn to him for, for anything. Beautiful. SubhanAllah. You know, as you were, um, asking the question about, you know, this, uh, this idea of, um, different kind of holding ourselves to, um, to, 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 with a dependency on other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the dangers that come from that. The first thing that always comes to mind when I'm hearing that <clears throat> is the idea of uh, the dependency on external validation, right? Where mm. we require um, validation from other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so we base our actions, we base our thought processes, we base our decisions and our, the choices that we make in our lives. And even to the extent that we base our identity on whether that's going to be pleasing to the people who matter to us, right? And I think that that can be a very dangerous uh, path to start walking on because mm -hmm. no matter what, the standards of people are always fluctuating, right? Like the Rasul in he so would always right. make the dua, Ya muqallib al qulub thabbit qalbi ala dinik, right? To to um, to stabilize his heart on the on the deen, right? That Allah subhanahu wa taala is the one who um, who holds the hearts right in between his two fingers subhanallah and so um in that we understand that it's human nature to have this fluctuation the that what is pleasing to one person is going to be dis displeasing to another mm. um, and so the standards of people are always changing so what's the only stable standard that we can rely on is going to be the standard of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sure there are no tricks you know and so when we rely on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in that way, and we have that trust in him, and we have that dependence on him, that can then stabilize us, that can then ground us, and it can be very healing to kind of transform our thoughts and our hearts to be going in just one direction that we always know is going to be um, consistent. And I think that's one of the safest ways, you know, in order for us to heal from trauma, we need a sense of safety, security, and stability. And the most stable and secure source of that is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because he is, his standards are never changing. His expectations mm. are unchanging. And we can always strive to fulfill that and know what we get in return for that. Very interesting and, and very comforting, subhanAllah. I love the 
um, the more I mentioned in the last answer, but it's happening again, that the more you've um, <laughs> you talked about this, I'm starting to analyze myself now as well and thinking, hmm, am I doing these things? But I think it is very common, subhanAllah. Um, and it's all starting to make sense. And especially this idea of dependency on um, or your, your, your validator as being other people um, and even how that shapes identity, subhanAllah, it does make a lot of sense. Um, and let's now go back to this idea of trauma because that part was really interesting to me. Uh, you mentioned that trauma isn't just something big, like you mentioned before, something like war um, or, or something as major as, as rape, for example. It can be a number of different things. So I want to go back and really explore um, how people's relationship can be affected with Allah due to these episodes of trauma, however deep, however big, um, and the role that trauma can play in spirituality, right, and um, contribute to this kind of overall rise of negative thoughts towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Um, if both of you could expand on that a bit more, that would be amazing, inshallah. Sure, inshallah. Jazakallah khair for, for that question. Um, you know, I think that emphasizing that point about the fact that trauma isn't just isn't just like these major things that we typically think of when we hear the term trauma. But the fact is that there was, um, there was a study called the Adverse Childhood Experiences Study, where they interviewed 17,000 people, and they found that just within uh, ch the childhood of these people, 64% had experienced some sort of trauma that was impactful. And if we were to look at that then for the rest of their lives, then the percentage would be even higher. Right, because there are a lot of other, just like Sister Nejwa had um, uh, explained, there are a lot of other uh, uh, experiences that fall under the umbrella of trauma. Um, and I think something that a lot of times people don't realize, like just like the approach to healing trauma has to be holistic in that you have to work through a person's uh, mental state, so their thoughts. You have to help them physically because there's uh, a lot of trauma can be stored in our bodies, right? Um, so a lot of physical symptoms can even be attributed to traumatic experiences. Um, and then also through the hearts, right? And working through it in a holistic way. In that same way, trauma impacts us holistically too, right? So a person's neurology is impacted trauma like there's a certain part of the brain the amygdala in the back of the brain um, that's the survival part of our brain and that's the part that's responsible for fear for um, anxiety for uh, uh, for anger and that part becomes very overactivated after you've gone through a traumatic incident and so to be able to calm that to be able to heal from that you know there is going to be this impact that um, that that it, this brain area is then going to have on our thought processes. And that's why all of these thoughts that Najwa and I are discussing in terms of, does Allah hate me? Things will never get better. What's wrong with me? All of these different things, that is very much affected by that survival part of our brain, that, that the fear central of our brain is overactivated. So naturally, our thought processes are not going to be positive, right? Mm. But um, but one of the blessings, just as like a hopeful note with regards to that, one of the blessings is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made our brains so that they are malleable and they can change. In the field of psychology, it's called bra our brains being plastic, meaning that they can change. So the more that we work on healing, the more that we work on dealing with these negative thought processes and replacing them with healthier thought processes, then... Um, 
they can be positively impacted. But, um, but the parts of our brains that are impacted by trauma are the same parts of our brains that we use in our relationship with Allah subhanahu wa right? So the part, if we've been betrayed by a person, then that part of our brain has been so strongly impacted, the yeah. trusting part, that it then can even be difficult to trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Even though rationally, we know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is different than people, mm. but a lot of times our relationships with people and the things that have happened with people in our lives can, um, can really impact our relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Yeah, and that's that's a very powerful study. Um, and another, uh, there's actually been a series of studies that talks about how um, some of the, the experiences that we have or some of the views that we have from our parents also determines how we view Allah as well. And when you look at trauma, oh, sometimes it happens from a stranger, but a lot of the times it actually happens from the people that are closest to us. Um, so like uh, verbal abuse, mental abuse, um, and it can even be like people of authority. It could be, you know, um, sometimes it's imams, sometimes it's teachers. Um, and so what happens is if we grow up in, in environments where uh, we cannot trust our parents or our parents might act in a way um, that is traumatic for us, then, and we don't know exactly why this is, but people take some of their cognitions about their parents, probably because it's an authority figure, and they apply those same cognitions uh, to Allah. So um, someone who grows up thinking that they can't trust you know, their parents, then it'll, the same thing will happen. So going back, I feel like just and, and gaining insight into how uh, we can develop our own cognitions about Allah from other people can be really profound in recognizing like, oh, okay, this is, this actually comes from somewhere. This is something that I can, I can change. And then going back and like studying the names of Allah or um, even something as simple as like writing down those negative thoughts and then replacing them with healthier thoughts can go back and rewire your brain um, to have more healthy cognitions, not just around like the world around you, but also mm how you view Allah as well. for that insight and those those healthy thoughts um, and that healing process that was alluded to inshallah we'll talk about that a bit more um, later on in this episode I'm sure everyone is interested to understand um, how we can overcome this inshallah because a lot has been mentioned here and I'm very sure that those listening are thinking oh my god that happened to me um, or this is something I've been dealing with for years and I'm sure they'll find out a lot more um, from your other work as well but inshallah that's coming up um, and I want to now just as a follow-up to this, um, tap a different nerve, right? Which is the idea of hopelessness as well. Um, hopelessness in oneself for whatever reason it could be, but something which we've covered in the podcast before is, you know, I sin too much or I'm not worth X, Y, and Z. And although I know the power of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, I know his mercy, um, I still feel that I don't deserve to have a good life I don't deserve to have you know mercy from him I don't deserve to be um the situation that I'm in just now so hopelessness um therefore does have this major impact on how we um our relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala but can you dive a bit deeper into that and the connection between feeling hopeless um 
on a spiritual level as well. Um, and versus feelings that arise from mental illnesses themselves, such as actual clinical depression, okay, because I'm sure there's a difference there between negative and depressing thoughts versus someone who actually is going through a very deep uh, um, type of depression, which the doctors have said are actually clinically depressed. What's the difference there and what can you um, provide in terms of insight for that, inshallah? So we all experience a sense of hopelessness every once in a while. That's, you know, a normal part of the, the human process. However, um, uh, severe hopelessness can be a symptom of depression when it's accompanied by some of the other uh, signs of depression. Um, so that the person's baseline, whatever their usual self is, is um, disrupted. So usually with um, some of the classic signs is like their sleep is impacted. They're either sleeping too much or too little. They don't have, they have like a decreased appetite or they're eating too much. Um, thoughts about death, uh, there could be self-harm, low self-esteem is common um, and it happens for a significant period of time usually like at least two weeks for most of the day most of the days and there's different kinds of depression that are probably beyond the scope the scope of what we're talking about but it is a significant um, difference from the person's norm um, and it has an effect on how they conduct themselves day to day and their relationships um, now, there can be hopelessness without having um, a spiritual depression, right? Mm. So I might just be like, well, I'm not really hopeful about my future. I'm not hopeful about my career or by my family. Um, and so that's hopelessness. Um, and however, like with spiritual hopelessness or depression, I feel like it takes a little bit of a different twist where the focus is not as much on I'm not hopeful about my future, but I am. I'm not, I'm not hopeful that I am worthy that Allah will change my, my future. Or I have sinned so much that I am not deserving of his, of his mercy. So with the first hopelessness, it's more about yourself or your environment. Whereas I feel like the spiritual one, I, I wouldn't say it's as much doubt, but it's um, wondering, it's about the connection with Allah. So it's like a different feel. So it's very possible to have a clinical depression without a spiritual, but a lot of times they do go together because it's such a slippery slope that, you know, naturally if you feel like negative about your environment, it goes to, it will project also onto Allah as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think that one of the things that's really helpful to realize about um, spiritual hopelessness and our, um, our relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the way we think about him is for us to realize that uh, that sense of hopelessness has a lot more to pretty much everything to do with us, right? And our thought process versus what it has to do with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So I think we often, like, like Nejwa mentioned in the beginning, she talked about projection, right? That because mm -hmm. you feel a certain way, you project it onto somebody else. In this case, projecting it onto Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, right? Where, where because because I feel that I'm undeserving, then I assume Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala views me as undeserving as well. And I think that getting to the core of that and realizing I am not in a position to attribute thoughts to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, right? Like Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is beyond any of our comprehension. He's the highest of examples and everything. And so I can't tell what he's thinking. I can tell what I'm feeling, right? And then addressing that feeling and the thought that comes with that and saying, 
okay, I feel undeserving of Allah subhanahu wa mercy. So what is it? And I apologize if you hear my daughter crying in the background. <laughs> She's with my husband. Um, but um, uh, like, what is it that, that, um, that, I am, uh, that I am experiencing that is making me so certain that I'm undeserving of Allah subhanahu wa mercy? And if Allah subhanahu wa has honored me, with the ability to even think about this, with the ability to even make da'at to him, with the ability to be a Muslim and to worship him, then why do I have this assumption of hopelessness, that, that I'm beyond hope? When Allah subhanahu wa is, is telling me, because I'm still holding on to my faith, he's telling me I'm not beyond hope, right? So, so that's just the way that, you know, I think can be very helpful, is bringing it back to you as a person and realizing that the thoughts are yours. They're not Allah's pantadas because we don't know what he's thinking. Mm. And that's where I feel like it comes back full circle in that mm-hmm. um, where do these negative thoughts come to begin with, right? So it is really about you. Or it's not as much about Allah. But like where do these thoughts, like people don't wake up and say, you know, I am, I am not smart or I am not worthy. There's something wrong with me. Usually there is trauma behind it. It can be a series of little traumas or it can be a major trauma. So we all have this like negative script in our head and it can come from our experiences. It can come from our parents, from, uh, from the people around us. And it takes a long time, but what happens is over time, we start to, to develop a sense of self, like a sense of self and a, self, a sense of um, self-esteem. And if we have had a lot of hiccups along the way or people t- like feeding us very negative things, that's where that negative, um, those negative thoughts come from. And so what I meant by going back by full circle is like going back and identifying like, have I experienced trauma? Have things happened to me that maybe I didn't consider were a trauma? And how does this affect how I view myself um, and my future and then also my relationship with, with Allah? A lot of times if you, you know, you sit there or even if you're with a therapist, you can be like, you know what? It was this one thing that this person said to me. It, it, was, it just took five seconds, excuse me, it took five seconds. And, um, but it changed like the, traje- the trajectory of my life because of those profound words. Um, and it's that insight again, that we can start to like re-script and look at ourselves and Allah from a, another perspective. Zakhlakhir, mm, both of you, once again, for covering that from those different angles. And we have covered this topic now um, from these different angles of trauma, of our thought processes, emotional reasoning, and whatnot. And now I want to wrap up today's episode, inshallah, with some solid strategies. So we just started there a minute ago, uh, talking about a few that we can uh, do there, um, bringing it back to ourselves, coming back full circle. But I want both of you, inshallah, to enlighten those listening that are. Um, listening to what you're saying and thinking, oh my goodness, that's me, that's where I've been for the past while, few weeks, years maybe, and I can't get out of this. I can't stop convincing myself that Allah does hate me, right? And that things are going wrong for me. Um, perhaps they are now starting to check off those boxes and it's becoming a bit more reassuring that it's not all gloom and doom. But for those that still are struggling and those who want to improve this relationship, what strategies can you um, provide us that can help that healing process and transform our thought processes, which inshallah then will result in those more um, healthy thoughts and behaviors and feelings towards Allah and the practice of our religion and just our life in general, inshallah. 
I love, I love thinking about the practical <laughs> side of things. I think it's so helpful for people to, to be able to leave with something that they can do immediately. Michelle, so it's such a great question. Um, you know, I think that what Sister Najwa was suggesting, I don't know why I always call you sister whenever we do recordings, but because <laughs> we're friends personally, so it feels a little strange, but it comes out automatically when we're doing recordings. My home girl, Najwa. But, <laughs> yes, exactly. Maybe I should try and use that from now on. But uh, so what Najwa was saying, um, was what Najwa was saying uh, just now about the idea of, okay, you know, first, I think a good first step is understanding well, what are the thoughts that are going through my head, right? First identifying it, because I think a lot of times we have these feelings, but we're unaware of the link that these feelings have to the thoughts that are going through our head. So it's building that self-awareness of, okay, well, what thought am I thinking? Is this reality-based or is this feeling-based, right? And just kind of like checking that off in your mind and figuring out, okay, well, if it is reality-based, then where are the facts? If it's feeling-based, where did this feeling come from, right? Um, and then when we've determined that, I think one of the things that's very helpful to identify when it comes to our relationship with Allah subhanahu wa I think a lot of people have this misconception that Iman is something that's solely in our hearts, right? That faith, the belief in Allah subhanahu wa hope in Allah subhanahu wa a relationship with Allah subhanahu is something that's only in our hearts. And if I don't feel it, then it's not there. But when we look at the different um, hadiths, when we look at the different um, scholars in terms of the branches of faith, when they talk about the branches of Iman, the vast majority of the branches of Iman that are written about are action-based, right? They're not just emotional. They're not just heart-based, right? And so, so much of it is, you know, our relationship with Allah subhanahu wa is not only based on what we are feeling toward him or what we imagine he's feeling toward us, it's about what we're doing in our day-to-day life, right? Mm -hmm. If we feel a sense of distance in our relationship with somebody that we care about, then how do we deal with it? You know, we, we invest in it. We discuss it. We communicate with them about it. We take more effort to show them that we don't want this distance, that we care about them, right? And so the same thing go, is true for our relationship with Allah subhanahu wa And so, um, you know, in... In studying um, in the field of psychology, we realize that like thoughts, if we imagine a triangle, right, there's like thoughts are on one end, emotions are on the other end, and behaviors are on the other end, actions, right? And they're all interconnected. They all work together. So if we change our thoughts, we can change our emotions. If we change our behaviors, our actions, that can also impact our emotions and our thoughts too. Right. Mm-hmm. So one step that we can take in repairing our relationship with Allah subhanahu wa is to, you know, come to the conclusion that, okay, if I'm thinking that Allah subhanahu wa hates me, and I realize that that's not factual, right? Because there, I can't determine the facts that, that illustrate that. Um, then what can I actively do to repair my relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. What's one small step I can take? Because a lot of times people feel so discouraged in the idea that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala hates them that they then stop praying, that they then stop doing all types of worship, right? And that further deepens that whole hole of despair. Mm. So instead deciding, you know what, if I can't pray all five prayers, let me at least pray two today. And I can feel good about the fact that I did a part of my obligation to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and that's and and that can bring me one step closer to Allah, 
right? So, so I think choosing one small thing that we can do on a daily basis action-wise is very powerful for working on these negative feelings that we have in our relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Yeah, and that really reminds me of the, of the hadith, and actually I have it taped up in my office, um, because it, it really um, talk, I mean, addresses exactly what you're talking about, that whoever draw nears to me a handspan, I draw near to him an arm's length. Whoever comes to me a four arm's length, I draw near him an arm's length. Whoever comes to me walking, I come to him um, in a hurry. Whoever meets me with an earth full of sins but does not associate anything worship with me, I will meet it with forgiveness equal to that. And subhanAllah, it's a relationship unlike any other in that mm. we're with family or teachers or, or whoever, there is this sense of like, I do for you, you do for me, right? And it's usually equal. You don't, I think naturally people want to do what the other person is doing. But here Allah, who is, you know, control of the world who created us is telling us, if you just do a little bit, I will meet you way more. Um, and that is so reaffirming that, no matter what we do, he is he is there and he can come back to us more than we have the ability to. Um, but yeah, exactly what Sara was saying in that first identifying where some of these thoughts come from, um, you know, kind of reflecting on your child, some of your experiences and identifying where they, where they come from. And then looking at the thoughts, um, on yaqeen.com at the end of this particular chapter, there is that workbook section that I had mentioned. And one of the exercises um, that you can do in a journal is that uh, you can like fold a piece of paper in a half. And then on the one side, you can write down the negative thoughts that you have, like Allah has forsaken me, he, he hates me, mm. um, or I feel like there's no hope in life. Um, and you can even like, if you want to you know, take it a step further, you can write it in red because that's really um, closely associated with trauma. On the other side, you can write the opposite, the healthier thought. Um, so instead of Allah hates me, you can say, uh, you can you can quote a hadith, or you can talk about um, the love that Allah has for his for his slaves. And so um, what you're doing is pretty much what I was saying is cognitive restructuring. You're taking the unhealthy thoughts and you're replacing them with healthy thoughts. And over time, you will rewrite that script that I was talking about earlier. Um, uh, you know, with neuroplasticity and our brains are very flexible. Um, before we used to think that like, you know, if you if you were traumatized, not much can be done. But now we know about post-traumatic growth that like many people after they experience things in their lives, not only come back to baseline, but actually are much better than they were before. Um, and so practicing, replacing those negative thoughts, whether it's in your head or on paper, uh, can help a tremendous, uh, tremendous amount. Um, Another thing, since we talked about self-esteem, uh, one of the exercises is looking at what are some of your positive attributes and maybe some of your not so positive attributes. And then you're coming from a strength-based perspective, like what are some of the things I'm good at? But with the negative things, is taking them and turning them into action items or goals. So it's very similar to the cognitive restructuring. So if you're like, I'm lazy, you know, that's not helpful because it doesn't really help you get anywhere. But if you reframe that to, um, I would feel better if I prayed Fajr on time and I read Quran half an hour in the morning. Now you're taking something that's not so great to something positive and something that you can actually work on. Um, and that's the self-esteem work that when you feel better about yourself, naturally you're going to feel better about your environment and Allah too. 
Um, and then lastly, I would probably just add, you know, focusing on the positive attributes of Allah as well. Um, when we study and we see, you know, how amazing and, and majestic and all of his good qualities um, and how forgiving he is, it um, kind of takes us away from that whole idea of us unconsciously taking um, the attributes of others and all the negativity around us and, and putting it on him. It, it takes us back. Um, and not only do you learn about him in a positive way, uh, but then you also are starting to build a relationship because how do you build a relationship with someone you don't really know? Mm-hmm. Excellent. Thank you so much. And I want to just ask a follow-up, which is that the exercise that you gave with the folding the piece of paper and writing down um, from experience, um, you know, I have had feedback because I, I have released uh, products and I, I've worked with um uh, companies that we've released lots of planners and great productivity tools and people are like I'm not I'm not a writer I just can't sit and do this um, and interestingly that usually comes from the, the, the guys the brother side of things but I'm not generalizing here I wanted to ask you that if someone is having a difficult time figuring this out on their own they can't come to terms with all of these thoughts at one time they're a bit overwhelmed um You mentioned earlier um, the idea of seeking therapy. So I wanted to just ask both of you for your advice on if someone's completely new to this, if people are just figuring this out for the first time with regards to themselves, their behaviours, their thoughts, and this idea of cognitive reprogramming, the triangle you mentioned. um, What what can they do? Who can they go to? Um, Would it be... A therapist? Would it be those like yourselves, mashallah, who are in the profession as well? Would it be local imam? I think um, we at the inspiration as well, I'm sure, of course, you both do receive a lot of emails and, 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 and calls of desperation to help, but we're not qualified to do so. We can only provide them with the links and resources that will help them further. So um, for someone who says, okay, that's it, I'll do my best, but tomorrow, well, after everything opens up again, inshallah, because of the current situation, um, I'm going to go out there, be proactive and, and see someone. What would be the best course of action? Um, obviously, it depends greatly on the situation and it's very subjective based on uh, what they are dealing with personally. But as a first step, um, how would someone figure that out, inshallah? So I think that, um, you know, one of the one of the really nice things about about therapy is that it's not just for really major issues. And I think that that's a misconception a lot of people have. A lot of times, you know, a lot of the clients that have uh, come in or stayed on after addressing a lot of more of their major struggles is there's a lot of growth that can come from having that time for self-reflection because how often do we take an hour a week to really reflect on what's going through our minds, the impact that past experiences have had on us, our future goals and how we're going to implement them in concrete ways, you know, so it really is, it can be kind of this form of self care in in terms of like, how do I progress forward in, um, in who I want to be as a person and who I want to be in my relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Um, so I, I always recommend that people look into local resources for um, local therapists. Uh, so depending on where you're located in, um, in the world or in the US or uh, anywhere else, um, you know, local resources are always the ideal, especially when you're dealing with trauma, um, because we, we do tend to recommend in-person therapy for trauma work, 
right? Mm. Um, if you're looking to explore more of, you know, uh, kind of your, your own self-exploration, self-discovery and growth and things like that, online uh, therapy is a really excellent option. Uh, and actually, you know, during this quarantine time, a lot of therapists are making themselves accessible, even those who haven't traditionally done it, are making themselves accessible online, which is, um, which is great. So I know one thing I would just say is I know it can be really overwhelming when a person is starting to try to find um, a therapist, mm. uh, because there are all there are often so many different options. But I would just, you know, for a little bit, dedicate a small amount of time each day, like a half hour, let's say, each day to, to exploring different options, keep a, a spreadsheet or a Google Doc available, like on the side to the ones whose profiles that you read really appeal to you, like there's going to be certain people who resonate with you and others who don't. And that's completely normal, because it's a relationship just like anything else between a therapist and a client. Um, and so picking somebody who you feel like really um, resonates with you and would be a good fit would be great. So I would just, um, you know, have your like top few contenders in a Google Doc, call them up, and then see if they have availability that works with your schedule. It's just one small step at a time. And that will eventually lead you to the person that will be um, a good fit for you. And always making dot to Allah's Pantada to just like, you know, he's al-fatah, right? The, the one who's the opener. Mm. So the one who's going to open the path for you toward healing and growth and help you to find that person who's going to be a really good fit to support you in that journey. Inshallah. Does that person necessarily have to be of the same faith? I think those listening might be thinking, does it have to be a Muslim therapist? Um, and perhaps you can expand, or maybe this is um, too extensive for this episode, but I'm sure that um, there are different types of therapy, right? So there's those that are, um, are, you know, more kind of cognitive based CBT therapy, for example. There's those that, you know, you, you kind of sit down and you, um, it's more exploring your yourself and there's a lot more talking involved. There's a lot more um, discovery involved and there's different names and titles that are, that are there when you, when you search. I've done it before myself as well. So that can be a bit overwhelming. So, um, how would someone go about deciding which type of therapy is, is the best? So that was, sorry, two questions was um, the type of therapy. And does it necessarily have to be somebody of the same faith? Yeah. So um, it can be overwhelming in looking at all the different options. And then even within the mental health field, like there's many different kinds of mental health practitioners. So just to quickly rattle off some things, psychiatrists are usually the ones who give medication and they don't do as much therapy. So if you're really, really looking for like self-exploration and heavy duty trauma stuff, you wanna look for a counselor, a clinical social worker, um, and there's some kinds of psychologists. Um, most therapists study a variety of different theories and perspectives, so they're pretty um, well-rounded in trying different things. You do wanna find someone that will be a good fit in terms of modality. So if you are very uh, cerebral and you like things structured, cognitive behavioral would be great. If you are the kind of person who is into free associating and like you just want to explore, like you don't really have that much of an agenda, you just want to kind of get to know yourself, you might want to consider psychoanalytics. So you kind of have to figure out what is good for you. But I would say most therapists are well-trained in a variety of things. The thing that you want to look for is someone who, um, actually, let me take a, stick, a step back. I would say that if it's a faith-based issue, I would stick more with a Muslim therapist because 
um, something that a lot of clients have come to me and complained about is that just the effort and the time it took for them to explain to their therapist who wasn't Muslim about certain dynamics mm. um, or feeling like they were judged for, for certain things. So for example, if you have generalized anxiety, you know, I think that's something that's pretty safe. You can go to any, any therapist. However, if you grew up maybe in a house where your parents were polygamous or, um, they, you know, um, I'm trying to think if maybe you are having feelings about like same sex attraction, then, um, in those situations where it's more nuanced and you want someone from a faith-based perspective, I would say it's more important to try and find a Muslim therapist mm-hmm. because it'll save you a lot of time um, and misunderstanding just to, to have someone that comes from that um, from that framework. It just makes it a lot easier. Perfect. And um, I hope that inshallah those that are listening um, now have a better insight into this um, topic and hopefully those that had this question of why does Allah hate me um, can go back and have a little bit of a think and I'm sure this episode will take a couple of listens to really come to terms with the different um, factors that contribute towards this and something what I want to thank both of you today for doing um, is illustrating that you don't have to have something major that's occurred in your life an episode something traumatic in order to feel this it can be a very normal feeling a very common feeling and it's not you know it's not shameful to um experience these thoughts negative thoughts and emotions it's not it's not shameful even the prophet ali hisalam himself as you mentioned earlier the kind of the, the foundation and the backbone of this series was surah duha which was released after a time in which you know um he was going through a period of negative thoughts but um thank you both so much now if those who are listening want to get in touch with yourselves um for more information on what you do and even the yakin trauma series as a whole and go and explore it and learn where can they go to find out more um so yeah all of our um all of our chapters and our videos are on yakininstitute.org um, so that's like a one spot place that you can see. Um, and then we, both of us are in private practice. So you can find a lot of my information on amana, A-M-A-N-A-H, counseling.com. Um, and then on my social media links, I do try to post different stuff on different platforms. Um, but that is probably the best way to, um, find me. Yeah. And the, um, the same with regards to the Yaqeen, uh, uh, resources, uh, inshallah. And then for me, um, you can find me on uh, either Psychology Today or my website that's currently under construction, which inshallah won't be under construction by the time this is released, <laughs> uh, which is uh, sadasultan.com. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just sadasultan.com. And then, uh, and then also I have um, I uh, Sultan Therapy uh, um, on Instagram, uh, and uh, I have a Facebook page as well where I try to to post as well so people can feel free to to go there inshallah excellent and all of the links inshallah will be on deanspiration.com as all of you know we do like to put um, some comprehensive um, show notes for each episode um, and all of the links that sisters Najwa and Sarah have mentioned will be there along with resources to help you if you are currently feeling 
um, in trouble, uh, whether it's uh, mentally, emotionally, um, and to inshallah discover more about Yaqeen's work. Um, now before both of you leave, I want to ask if any of you do have any final words of advice, any words of wisdom, if you want to plug anything else, this is your chance now, inshallah, for those listening to give them hope, you know, and to reassure them that Allah doesn't hate them and things, inshallah, will be better. Um, you know, with hardship, there is ease. And I hope that um, so far they are feeling at ease and more in comfort from your words. But I'd love if both of you could share some last minute wisdom before we sign off, inshallah. Jazakallah khair for, for having us here. It's been just a wonderful uh, experience. Alhamdulillah, this is a topic that we're both really passionate about and it's always a privilege to be able to talk about it. Um, I think on my end, one of the thoughts that uh, I think is I would really like to, to leave people with is just the idea that, that um, despite everything that you're going through, you know, you are enough in terms of the way that you're going to be able to overcome it. Right, you know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us, you know, La nafsan illa wusaha, right? That He doesn't burden a soul with more than they can bear. Mm-hmm. And even if you're at a point in your life where you feel like you just can't bear it, it's unbearable pain, realizing that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sees your strength and that there are going to be qualities that He's going to give you to be able to ensure that you're going to be able to overcome this in the same way that He takes care of. Um, animals in the deepest depths of the sea where no other type of creature could survive because he equips them with what they need to survive in that environment. Mm. You're going to be able to survive through this inshallah and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give you what you need. It's not going to a lot of times come in the way that we anticipate, but it's going to come inshallah. And so to keep your um, hope and your heart open uh, for that inshallah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Jazakallah khair for, for inviting us. It has been um, very pleasant and just the opportunity to be able to, um, you know, talk about such an important topic. Um, and yeah, I, I, I don't know what I can add to Sara. You always say things so, <laughs> so beautifully. Um, but, you know, being optimistic about Allah and, and just, you know, I always feel so much better when I look at the research that talks about how people can transform their lives and and completely turn things around after the worst has come to them. And when we look at the prophets, subhanAllah, Prophet Muhammad, or even Prophet Yusuf, when you actually sit down and you look at the things that they experienced, if we had gone through these things, and some of us do go through, you know, really traumatic things. Um, and then how far they come, like there's stories of resilience that people really do. I, I think the study shows that at least 50% of people come back better. And just that hope that you can keep going, that the trauma doesn't have to define you or who you are or where you're going, um, that, that there is that hope in Allah and, and in yourself that you can come out of it um, is just it's so profound um, and something that I hope that people will carry in their heart after listening to this. Inshallah, thank you both so much. It's been wonderful. And I think that there, um, what's the phrase? This is like a drop in the ocean, right? In this topic, there's so much more that can be discussed. And 
I very much would welcome the opportunity to have you both on again in the future, inshallah, perhaps when things are a bit easier in terms of <laughs> connectivity and whatnot. But it's been a pleasure. Um, for those listening via iTunes or SoundCloud um, or Spotify, we have been trying, attempting with our poor um, mesquite internet connections here to do this in video format as well, which you can find inshallah on deinspiration.com and our social media channels. But until next time, it's been Usman here from Deinspiration. Um, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Thank you for having us. All right, mashallah. And that was the episode featuring sisters Sara and Najwa from Yaqeen Institute. Wow, I told you, I told you it was going to be thought-provoking and, and very insightful for me personally. While I was uh, speaking with them both, I was like, man, I definitely do some of this sometimes, right? And it's normal, it's natural for us to uh, go through ups and downs. But inshallah, now, if you have been feeling this way before, maybe Allah doesn't love me, you are uh, feeling hopeless. Inshallah, I hope that through this episode, you have gained some reassurance, you have gained new hope, um, and that you feel better about yourself because you are incredible, you are valuable, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves you so so much um, and I hope that going forward you and I together um, and all of us can inshallah work towards healing and having a more positive thought process and relationship with our faith and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Once again everyone, if you did enjoy this episode, please go ahead and leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts for us. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. Let us know how you thought over at deinspiration.com forward slash episode 42. And of course we are also on all social media channels, pretty much Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, you name it, at Deinspiration. And inshallah, I can't wait to share some even more incredible topics with all of you. Until then, I've been Usman. May Allah bless you. Have a brilliant day. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Allah, 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 Allah,